This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Micah Blanc, episode 133. Hey, let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Blanc. I'm really excited that you're here. Actually, I'm even more excited today than you are because today I interview my hero, Ken McElroy, who wrote the ABCs of Real Estate. And uh, I got to do it in person in his office in Scottsdale. And wow, was this an interview. Awesome guy. And you know what? Here's the thing about this interview. Uh, Not once did we talk about apartment building investing. It was that kind of interview. Really, really magical. And I think you'll really get to know Ken McElroy on a more personal level. So I don't want to keep you from this anymore. Really excited. Here is Ken McElroy. Well, Ken, welcome to the show today. Thank you. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for coming. Oh, this is great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you spend the summers in Idaho, I I hear. I do. I love it up there. It's very hot in Arizona. It is. And it gives a break from the heat and also from my mind, you know, just to try to take a little bit of time off. How much time do you take off and kind of why do you do it? Well, I think I'm because you're a busy guy. Yeah, when I was younger, I used to work a lot, like a lot of people do. And I realized that every time I left on vacation, even a week or two or whatever, it would take a few days, but all of a sudden you start to think a little more clearer and just things get a little bit easier. And, and I would always bring back really new ideas to the company. And so my partner, we had a little joke. He's like, okay, what's new now? You know, like when I would come back from vacation, because you never really shut it off. But I feel like sometimes you filling your head with so much stuff every day, emails and conversations and letters and, you know, whatever, that you never really take a break and work on the business. And so uh, I usually take, this year I took uh, almost three months off. That's amazing. Yeah. The problem with entrepreneurs like us is that we can always achieve more if we work harder. Yeah. And so the temptation is that even if we work for ourselves, we just work harder and harder and then we lose that life balance. I mean, how do you achieve that balance between yeah. marriage, life, family, and, and your business? It's the hardest thing ever, actually. Mm-hmm. Also, when I go somewhere and taking time off, let's say, I'm not really shut down from the world, you know, as you are these days anywhere. So my kids, they'll be asleep. I get up still at five or six and I crank out three, four hours of work every single morning. But then I shut it down and I'm present with them all day. So that's the difference. So I am working. I am on the phones, but anything and everything needs to be scheduled in the mornings. The goal was to be fully, fully present and have a great relationship with my uh, family. So that was the intent, but also to take time away from the company and the business. So you have to be very intentional about this. Yeah, you do. I actually bought a house in Idaho and moved to it. So Partly because of this or maybe because of it? Uh, maybe uh, all kind of connected to it. Yeah. I think, you know, three hour flight away and you're intentionally moving and you kind of have to think about how you're going to run the business because still it doesn't go away and there's still things that happen. So you are thinking business, but you detach yourself from kind of the day-to-day stuff. Yes, that's right. And it's wonderful because it doesn't shut down. Things still come in, but Robert Kiyosaki has this saying that he says, which is space allows. And what it basically means is when you create space in whatever you're doing, um, new things come in. But when you're fully engaged and your mind's full of chatter all the time, it's harder. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Now, talk about a time when you, because you, you used to be an employee at one point. 
talk about the transition from that to kind of being your own boss. What was that like for you? What were some of the challenges you went through? Well, the nice thing about being an employee is you don't know any better, right? You know, so I mean, I was an employee in high school and then during college I worked. I had three jobs in college and, you know, while going there on a wrestling scholarship. So I was busy in college and then I went right into work somewhere after that. And so I think that the entrepreneur piece for me wasn't clear. Mm. So the employee part was super easy. Everything's kind of served up for you. And you get a paycheck. And as long as you come in on time, tell the truth and do what you say, you're going to be fine, generally. So the entrepreneur part for me was the hardest leap going from somebody giving me money in a form of a paycheck to going out on my own and relying on just myself. What was that first business that you did? And at what point did you make that transition? What I did was I, I went very slowly. I did a lot of the things that a lot of your listeners probably did is I started with one place and then had a second place and had a second place. On the side. Or third place. Yeah. yeah. So I was still working and I had savings or whatever. And I used that money to buy my first rental place, which barely cash flowed, but it did. And I didn't know any of the rich dad stuff or any of these things at that time. I just knew because my very first job was in property management. And so I understood rents and expenses and cash flow and you either sent a check to an owner or you didn't if you didn't a lot of times there was hell to pay right there were reasons and so i started doing that and 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 i think once i started buying individual places it gave me kind of the comfort level to be able to do it on my own i had a whole new network of people from realtors to contractors to lenders and things like that as you do kind of outside of what i was doing cuz mine was the big apartment complexes and so when I actually made that switch, it was basically going from small rentals to big ones, you know. Now, I heard you say that uh, your goal at the time was to be your own boss, but you did not necessarily equate that with financial freedom. Were the two things different? And if so, what right. is your definition? Well, of it's interesting. Freedom? Like, honestly, at that point, I was in my early 20s and, you know, you don't really have a lot of expenses. Let's just face it. And you're pretty mobile. You know what I mean? Maybe you have a car expense, you have some living expenses, and you have rent maybe or a mortgage, but generally not too much. And so I was just trying to solve that. What I was making was a lot more, but I was just trying to solve to something that would cover my monthly expenses and so that I didn't have to dip into my savings. So essentially, that was it. So it was very, very simple, you know. And so for me, that was financial freedom. And actually, it kind of is, you know, when you have enough rental income from a business to cover your expenses, that's kind of financial freedom. The problem is, is that your expenses get bigger and bigger over time, right? Yeah. I want more things. I want a bigger house or move here or move there or whatever. You know, start a family and, you know, things start becoming bigger on the expense side. So I had to have a business that was scalable. Right. Which it was in, yeah. in, in real estate as well. Yeah, which I was lucky. Now, so how does your definition, how did your definition of success change over the years? For me, it changes. Like 10 years ago, I wanted something. And then all of a sudden, you're like, wow, that, that wasn't very, maybe a mature way of, well, of and, thinking. And, and, I had, how, and how was I that think, for you? I don't think it were unusual there, though. Like, I think, honestly, when I was in college, my definition of success was getting a job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And I think it changes. Then it's finding, you know, a relationship and maybe it's finding a good job or maybe it's finding something that you really enjoy because that could be different. You can have a job that you don't enjoy and a job that you do enjoy. And so there's all kinds of things in there. 
And then I think at some point, maybe in my 30s, it turned more to money. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, I had this million dollar number in my head. You know, I want to be a millionaire. Uh, Don't know why, but maybe something I read, but at the time. And so that was kind of my first financial goal. And I thought at the time that was success, but now I look back and I see that it really wasn't. I mean, it was successful. It was a great life event, but now I feel like it's relationships and my family and my kids and and those kinds of things. So that's where I'm focused now is building and keeping those relationships. So how did you come to this realization? Because some never do, really. They just keep count of their money. Yeah. Well... I think that I always wanted, it was an epiphany for me. When I had my kids, I knew that I wanted to have an amazing relationship with them. And so I sought out a mentor. His name was Charlie Dunlap, and he had five kids. And all of the kids wanted to be with him. And he was about 60 years old. And I'm like, okay, I want a relationship like that guy has with his kids. And um, so I started to meet with him every month. And we met for almost 10 years just for an hour, for lunch, for here. And he did it. We did it all for free. But I looked at somebody that I admired in what I wanted, and then I made it a priority. And he helped me more than anybody on my relationship with my family and what kind of what's important. He was a very successful person with his family and also financially. And so I sought him out and he agreed. So he shaped the way I think a lot. That's amazing that you actually focused on that. Not a lot of people do. And I'll get a coach for something to make more money with something. But the idea of getting a coach over that time period to focus on your family, that's that's amazing. And most people have to go through some kind of trauma or death or something before they go, oh my gosh, I got to focus on my relationships. And with you, for some reason, that was not like that. Not sure why. I had a great relationship with my parents. They were married 60 years. Mm-hmm. That, maybe that was part of it. I speak to my siblings all the time. I just talked to my brother an hour ago. And so those are just really important. I think they're the most important thing. Because at the end of the day, maybe what happened was one of the things, you know, I started doing all my estate planning and all the trusts and all the things that you have to do Mm -hmm. when you start moving along financially. I remember reading an article about the top regrets of, you know, yeah, for dying as from hospice, I think it was. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So one of that, somebody wrote, it was a, you know, money and working, working and all that wasn't even on the list, right? right? It was all about family and relationships, and it was consistent. There's a lot of interviews that they had done to get to that point. And so, again, all ego aside, you're like, okay, well, this is good information. This is probably the way it's going to be for me, and it seems to be that way for everybody. Why would I be any different? So I need to refocus my priorities. This is interesting because most people don't become aware of something until some trauma happens, either to themselves or others, and they go, oh my gosh, all of a sudden they wake up. But don't you have to develop certain kind of awareness? Like you see this other person having this relationship with the kids, most people just take that for granted or they don't even notice it. How do you try to develop that awareness for you? For you? Well, I, I think it first started well, with my employees here. I think when I first started, I was hiring accountants and property managers and things like that, maintenance people. And I didn't really give the respect that I could have or should have when I was a young man about what they do for the company. In other words, it was more, yeah, yeah, let's find some people, let's staff it, let's move to the next thing. You know what I mean? And then I realized at some point that 
I could create a lot better environment for my employees. And so that's when I started digging into the personal development stuff. And I was already doing a lot of it, but I had never taken what I had learned and given it back to them. And so we started doing two-day employee seminars for our staff. We would study a book and then we would get into personal development. We'd bring in speakers just like you would attend or I would attend. I started doing them uh, for free, of course, because a lot of people can't afford that stuff. Some of those personal development seminars can be a lot. And so I think that it was a combination of that. You know, it's one thing to learn it, and it's another thing to teach it. Right. And then one of the books I studied, well, several books. One is called Awareness by DeMello. Another one is called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Michael Singer, that's great. Um, and then The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. So let's say all three of those, they kind of say a lot of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. But basically, it just talks about being uh, present, aware, and in the moment right now. That you, And a lot of people, I think, sometimes are stuck in the past a lot of times. And then that's in their head while they have precepts or preconceived notions of things. And then in another case, a lot of people are stuck in the future, where we're going to go, where we're going to be, you know, like plan, 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 plan. There's nothing wrong with planning. But so I think both of them talk about being aware and being present. And it's hard to do. Really hard to do. Really, really super hard to do. And so those kinds of things, I think, brought me to what you just said is the question. Is I became more present with my kids. I became more present with my employees. I became more present with scenarios and situations that I'm presented with, whether it's a phone call or a conversation with my assistant or anybody, you know, I think that there's nothing more valuable that you can give other than your time. And if I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm out here thinking something else, I'm not fully present with you and I'm not giving you all of me. So it was actually quite simple. The concept of it is, is actually to take things away. Mm-hmm. That's actually all it is. Well, simple, but hard to do. Yeah, very hard. I mean, Robert Kiyosaki talks about this be, do, have idea. Yeah. Right? And I'm starting to get it now, but I was always under a belief it's do. If I do a bunch of stuff, then I have or get a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there's this be in front of it. And I used to kind of discount the whole mindset thing. It's like this frou-frou thing. I just got to work hard enough and I'm smart and I can do it. And for you, why is that be part so yeah. important? Well, I think most people focus on the have. I mean, right now, that's where my kids are. I mean, I was just with my son two days ago, University of Arizona. And they're like, you know, I want this car. I want that. So I don't think they're any different than anybody. You know, I want this. I want a job. I want, I want, I want, I want. And so a lot of times they focus on the have. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's a part of the process. And you got to have dreams and goals and all those kinds of things. But I think the B part is the most important part because I think the minute you work on your inside, then the outside just changes. You automatically get what you want on the outside. It's just so hard because you're always busy. There's you always are. something, some yeah. fire to put out. Always, always, always. Yeah, yeah. I, but I think that's basically what B do have means to me is, is and we teach that to the employees in the company too, is the B part is, I think, the most important part. If we can teach something to somebody and they can take it back and have a better family relationship or save their marriage or maybe call a brother or sister or father or mother that they haven't called before, I think that's a win. The reason people don't have good relationships generally is because of belief systems or something that they have inside of there and they're stuck. 
and maybe we don't invest the time in our employees. We think they have their job to do and how much can I productivity can I get out of them? Not realizing if I actually help them become a better person, they help me in turn as well. Right. So we used to, I had the old model where we'd hold up the spreadsheets and talk about IRRs and returns and all that kind of stuff. And those were super boring. <laughs> and once we went into personal development stuff, it changed our company. You know, our turnover last year was, I think, 4%. We were awarded, I think, ninth in the country out of 50,000 uh, property management and real estate companies, uh, best company in the country. And then, of course, we're a top company in Arizona. And I'm still the same guy. We're still doing the exact same business we were 10 years ago. The only difference is that we're focusing on our people and trying to help them be more aware, which can help them in life, you know, not just financially. Usually it's hand in hand, and that's all I can do. It's worked for me, I feel like, and it's, and uh, if we can help some of the people that work for us, and even better. It's a great mission and a lesson for me. There's something about the employees having limited beliefs. I think we all have limiting beliefs. I remember uh, Grant Cardone was interviewed by Lewis Howes. And they were talking about something, and Grant started squirming in his seat because he couldn't wrap his head around a billion-dollar real estate deal. And it was hysterical because Grant Cardone is kind of this well-known guy, and here he is behaving like a teenager who can't wrap his head around buying his first rental. It was really kind of entertaining. Hmm. Have you had limiting beliefs? Like, even in, maybe even now, you're an accomplished person, and how did you overcome those? Well, first of all, I think what happens is, as we all grow up, we come from wherever we come from. My parents didn't come from any kind of money. They barely finished high school. Of course, certainly they didn't go to college. Um, and so I grew up with the, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. And actually, in looking back, it's probably true. And so that's a belief system that my parents have. They still have it. And so you got to crack through that. And I was like, okay, well, if that's true, why is my next door neighbor or this guy that I went to college with their belief system is a little different around money or around here. And so I think what happens, it can happen in religion. It can happen with marriage. It can happen with relationships. It can happen with all kinds of things. So I think that what happens is a lot of times people, they have their belief system, whatever that is. And a lot of times it can be like if, let's say they lost some money somewhere. Well, then they're like, okay, that, that's taboo. Right? That was bad. Right. That was bad. <laughs> we'll never do that again. Or, or whatever it might be, that's a belief system. Those are things that happened in the past. Not that you shouldn't check those. Not that you shouldn't be wise. But I think that those things keep you down. I do. I think that, I think that having an open mind and having, considering somebody else's opinion on a subject is the greatest thing that you could ever do, even if you don't agree with it when they finish. Most people don't do that. Most people are trying to, put their own agenda on top of whatever it is you're trying to say. And, it, you know, people are talking over each other. They're thinking while the other person is talking. And it's just a complete waste of time. And usually that's a result of a belief system that they have of some sort on whatever subject that it might be. And so that's what I'm talking about. And I think you just got to crack through that. And becoming aware about that, though, that's the other thing. I mean, most people aren't aware of that. So becoming aware that this, oh my gosh, I'm behaving this way because of this belief system. That's actually all you need. That's actually how simple it is. In uh, the awareness book and the Untethered Soul book, it talks about being the observer. Yes. You know, which I think is a great way to say it because essentially 
instead of being in the middle of uh, something, if you could just be the observer and watch yourself, I think that you're much further along than just in the middle of the fray. Exactly. Why am I behaving like this? Yeah. Why, why did I just get upset? Correct. Right. And right. observing your own reaction. That's weird. so that yeah, that happens to me all the time. That's exactly <laughs> where I go too. I was like, why did I? What trigger did I have right then that made me react this way? Or why did I get angry on on this? And usually, sometimes it's conscious, sometimes it's unconscious. The conscious ones are super easy, right? <laughs> because you can say, okay, yeah, this I had a bad relationship back in college, and this happened, and so therefore, you know what I mean? I'm reacting this way, or whatever. Let's say. For an example, but it can be around money. It can be well, whatever. I have family members that grew up in churches that had issues, and All um, churches do. <laughs> yeah, and so so they have a tainted view with regard to that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm just saying that's just how what happened. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it is what it is. And so I think that there are these things that we carry based on our past experiences, usually. Another coach of mine calls it a shock of some kind. You had a shock, whatever that is. It could be a death, could be um, a relationship breakup, could be that you got cheated on, could be that you lost money, could be that you lent somebody money and never got it back. It could be whatever. Like those are all called shocks. And so you have to work through those things, I think. You know, and that's that's essentially, um, I think, that once you clear your slate and you become present, it certainly helps. Get through those times. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and then you don't have those limited beliefs like you were talking about with Grant. Yeah. You're like, yeah, well, of course I can do that. Right. So now you're a pretty successful guy. I mean, you could do a variety of things with your life and your time. You could probably just quit if you wanted to. But what makes you get up in the morning? Well, I think what people need to consider when they're working or when they're not working is what I would consider to be a sense of purpose, whatever that might be. And I I don't think people consider that enough. So in other words, it's true. I could walk away from this company and I could do things and I would be unfulfilled. You know what I mean? I would be financially free. I don't feel like I would be really contributing in any way, anywhere. So, but doesn't necessarily mean I have to do it financially. I could do it anywhere. We just got back from an orphanage in Tanzania. My son was really, I brought him. We climbed Kilimanjaro in June. We did this mission trip before. And when we got back, he didn't really say much about it. I mean, we did the orphanage. We did the climb. And then we did safari. We came back. And then last week, he said, I think I want to fly back there and and work there for two weeks. Wow. Just out of the blue. So he kind of internalized it, didn't get a reaction. Yeah. 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 So, So to him, that's his sense of purpose. Right. So we'll send him back there next summer to work at this orphanage for two weeks. And so I think that it comes to different people different ways. And for him, that's it. You know what I mean? And for other people, it's other things. And so, I mean, as you know, I have good friends, Josh and Lisa Lannan, who've turned their entire business model into, um, you know, helping and healing PTSD, you know. Mm. And uh, they bought a big ranch in Texas. And so they have a ranch and they're solving this problem, but they're making money at the same time. You know what I mean? So you can do things that solve a purpose and make money at the same time. So that's, I think, where it goes. It's super boring to sit on a beach, retire and sit on a beach, or travel around and just go look at stuff and spend money, in yeah. my opinion. you got a mission. You need a mission. In you life. do. You mm-hmm. need some kind of mission, some kind of purpose, I think. Yeah. 
How important is spirituality to you? It's important. I'm all over the map on religion itself, organized religion. We'll do a separate show on yeah. that one. I go to Scottsdale Bible Church uh, very often, not every week, but almost. And it's organized religion, but I get stuff from it. You know, I love the messages and things like that. And what I like to say about spirituality is that there really are no rules with spirituality. And sometimes I see those rules in religions. So I am definitely spiritual. And I go to church. But I've bounced around from Catholic to Methodist to Lutheran to Episcopalian. And you know what I mean? And to try to figure this all out. Yeah. I haven't figured it out. Right. Yeah, I'm on a similar path as you are, actually. Yeah. So it's very interesting that you said that. It's very important for me as well, but maybe not in the way that I grew up with. Yeah, so yeah, I love them. That. I love the messages. Yeah. I love the, I mean, there's so many powerful things inside the Bible. And so it's all good. You know what I mean? There's nothing bad that can come out of going to church on a Sunday, right. in my opinion. You know, unless you're all in and you're not thinking, you're not aware. You know what I mean? Well, sometimes we tend to want to be right and not actually love someone. And we see Correct. that. Well, so. generally that happens a lot, right? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why I like spirituality because it literally is all about love, right? That's right. Yeah. So, Ken, this has been great and I appreciate your time. I know that you have an offer for the listeners and the watchers because we have these books, yeah. which are awesome. Where's the cameras here? These are awesome, right? So you're going to give us some signed copies of stuff for the listeners. And the way that we're going to get these books is you're going to go to the michaelblank.com forward slash Ken. All right. And then you're going to enter a form and you're going to enter a lottery. And, and I think you're going to give several of these away. So you don't have just one shot of these things signed by the Ken McElroy. So the michaelblank.com forward slash Ken. And, and not only do you get these books, but you get the access. Uh, he's got all these videos on kenmcelroy.com. Yeah. As went in there last night. And you have hours of you. Yeah. talking. I mean, are you kidding me right now? You're yeah. teaching us stuff. Right at that moment, just charging $100 a year for it. All right, so go get this book and then just pay the $97 so you can watch Ken teach on this stuff. I mean, he's like the best. So guys, do that right now while it's still fresh in your mind. And um, so anyway, I, Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. It's been a real honor. I appreciate it. Uh, the videos have been a lot of fun. That book, the ABC's Real Estate Investing, has sold, gosh, 600,000 copies. It's in 20 languages. And so the amount of emails and correspondence that we get just over that book has been overwhelming. So the way for me to handle it was doing these videos. So it's been great. The videos are what people are asking. So what a better way. Like, okay, there's no way I can email all these people and text right. them all back. And so let's provide a platform that we can provide real truth with real experts and they can access, you know, on their own, and they can learn together. Yeah, this is great. I'm glad you're doing it. I wasn't aware until recently that you were doing yeah. it. So I was like, my gosh, there's a bunch of, there's a video library with Ken McElroy teaching. Yeah. This is great. It's been fun, too. <laughs> it's been really fun because uh, we have a great team here. Certainly, I have the knowledge. But what the best part is, is that we're able to get these questions from the people that are emailing us and watching the videos. They're saying, hey, we want a video on this. We want a video on that. So it's been a platform that's literally been designed by the people who are actually subscribed to it. So that's been really rewarding because I can take something and say, yeah, this, this is a great idea. Let's do this. And then we, we film it. And you love to teach. I do, yeah. So it's been a win-win for me. And again, talk about purpose. For me, this is a great way to be able to put good content out there that's not salesy, it's completely whatever they're asking is I'm delivering that. And we're not trying to sell them into a course or, you know, any kind of anything else. You know what I mean? 
Well, you're an inspiration to me, Ken. I really appreciate it. Thank and you. I know you inspire thousands. So thank you very much. Uh, thanks, Michael. It's good to see good you. Good to see you. Oh my gosh. Was that the best interview you've ever heard in your life? It was for me. We were both so in the moment. Really enjoyed getting to know Ken a little bit more. He's a great guy. I met him a couple of years ago. And man, he's so gracious. And he hung around afterwards. He's such a great teacher. He loves to teach. And he put out this website, kenmacroy.com. And he's got all this video in there, guys. So go to themichaelblank.com forward slash Ken and sign up for this thing. He's going to do a lottery and he's going to give a bunch of signed books and then definitely subscribe. It's like $97 to get access to the entire library or $10 a month, I think it was. And I'm like, Ken, you got to charge like five grand for the stuff you have in there. He does not doing it for the money. He just wants to educate people. But, you know, maybe he'll raise the prices. I'm not sure. But it doesn't matter. Definitely get in there and register and check it out. Man, he's such a great guy. Love him death. And hopefully we can do other stuff together as well. All right, guys, that's all I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed the interview. If you did, leave me a review on iTunes. Love seeing those. And hope you have a great day, great week. I'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.